Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Um, it's because the Gospel of Mark is a fast-moving, action-packed narrative of the life of Jesus Christ, which is really perfectly suited to help teach us how to actually follow Christ, because the focus of Mark is more about what Jesus has done than what he teaches. Now, I do want you to understand what he teaches is absolutely essential. We always want to pay attention to that. But Mark is more interested in in demonstrating that Jesus is the Son of God, and he demonstrates that by recording the things that Jesus himself does. In fact, Mark records more miracles in his gospel than any of the other gospels do. It's it's an action-packed account of the the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's an account of what he does uh, and how he acts and how he treats other people. And again, it's perfectly suited to train us to follow Christ. Because the truth is simply this. As Christ followers, our goal is to become more like Christ. That is the goal. You see, the goal is not for us to become religious. That's not the point of of following Jesus. The goal isn't for us to adopt a new set of rules that we we must adhere to. That's not the goal. The goal is not for us to join some club that, that identifies us as some version of Christianity. The goal is not even self-improvement to make ourselves better people. The goal is to progressively be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. As, as we're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of God. It is God's intention. It is God's plan. It is God's design for those who follow Christ, that those who are Christians to become more like him, to be conformed into his image through the transformation of our actions and our attitudes. And the gospel of Mark is a great resource for anyone who wants to know what, what it means to follow Jesus because it paints a picture of Jesus in action. In fact, uh, if you will recall with me, over the last three weeks, Mark has painted a very clear picture of Jesus that is compassionate, right? Jesus is very compassionate to those in need. He's compassionate to the hurting and all who are lost. And this is very clearly displayed in the text that we've read so far. It also shows that Jesus is willing to serve anyone who will come to him for help, right? That Jesus is willing to serve, and he's also willing to befriend and associate with those that are considered to be outcasts by their community and outcasts by their culture. Jesus was a friend of sinners. We also have what we've seen in in the book of Mark is that Jesus is uncompromising when it comes to the truth. He makes no bones about what the truth is. And he's also bold in his proclamation of the gospel and his call for people to repent and believe. There's no hesitation in him at all. He is bold in his gospel proclamation. And we've also seen that he is submitted to God the Father. He is, he is on earth to do the Father's will. And that he also abides in the Father's presence through, through consistent and constant prayer. That's one of the things that pictures that we've seen about Jesus, that he is completely connected to God and he spends as much time with him as, as possible. And, and, right, and, and this is what we've seen just in the first three, like really two and a half you know, chapters of this book. Now, now if, if, understand, if this is all that we learned, if we decided, you know what, we're really bored of the book of Mark, let's move on to something else, right? If that's all we learned from this book right now, in our time together, we would have, we actually took the things that we learned about Jesus and applied those things to our own individual lives, it would transform everything. Think about it. 
It would transform our lives, our church, and our entire community. If, if we were compassionate to all those that are in need the way Jesus was, how would things be different? If we were willing to serve all those that come to us for help, if we were willing to befriend those who are around us that are hard to love and are rejected by our community, and there's a lot of those, if we were uncompromising in the truth the way Jesus was, even when it's not popular and it's not popular to tell the truth, and we boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and call people to repent and believe, and we were wholly submitted, completely submitted to God, and we were continually connected to Him in prayer, how differently would our lives be? How differently would this community be? How differently would, would, different would your life be if you just took one of these things and applied it to your life consistently? The truth is, I submit that it would be radically different. And so the Gospel of Mark really has a great deal to teach us. There is a lot for us to glean and learn from that. And it has the ability to even address our own individual circumstances, just like today's text. Now, as we begin to think about today's text, and as we begin to think about the things that we've learned so far, I want to just open up and lay out for you a question. And this question is something I really want you to consider and roll around and ponder and think about as we go through the text today. In fact, I want you to take this question and use it as the framework or the lens through which you're going to examine the text and then examine your own life. Uh, because in the end of this message, I'm going to come right back to this question. And this question simply is this. What is holding me back from selling out for Christ? Now, when I say selling out, what I mean by that is to be completely all in or committed. I had somebody say to me that they weren't really understanding because that they had a different understanding of selling out. When I say sell out, I'm thinking like athletically, like you know when you see uh, a football player run and just you know go to tackle someone and just I mean with reckless abandon sacrificing his body to make a play. You know we say he sold out for that play. You know what I mean? Just completely committed to whatever the task is at hand. You know to completely all in is what I'm talking about. What is holding me back from selling out for Christ? What is, what is getting in the way of, of me living for Christ on that level? What's holding me back from doing what God has been calling me to do? What's holding me back from living the radically different life that Jesus calls believers to? And you don't think that he calls us to a radically different life than read the, the, the Beatitudes. What's holding me back from, from being the evangelist and, and the di disciple maker that Jesus is calling me to? Right? God said to go make disciples of all the nations. All of us are commissioned to be a part of this disciple making process. What is holding me back? What's getting in the way of that? What is holding me back from selling out for Christ? And, 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 and understand, right? please hear me, right? that most of you, if not all of you, love Christ. And, and I certainly understand that, that a lot of you are involved and you serve, and I am super grateful for that. I am, I am more grateful to that for that than, than you can imagine. And, and I understand some of you are in the Word regularly and that you're reading the Word and you're studying the Word and you're, you're in prayer regularly. And I understand some of you even attend Bible studies and some of you intend, attend several Bible studies a week. Right? I mean, there's some of you that, that, think, that attend almost all of them. And, and, and I understand that, and the, the question I'm asking doesn't, it doesn't take anything at all away from any of that. In fact, all those things are good, and you should do those things. I also acknowledge that not everybody's at the same place in their walk with, with Christ. Some of you are 
newer believers. Some of you have been following Jesus for decades. Some of you have, you know, are still kind of babies in the faith, even, even though you might have been Christians for a long time. And some of you are more mature in your faith. Some are very excited and on fire for Jesus, and some of you might be growing cold and, and even possibly apathetic. Some of you might not even really be believers at all. And so, and so you're all, I understand, in different places, but this question is relevant to all of us, no matter where we are. What is holding me back from selling out for Christ? Because if we're going to be honest, if we're really going to be honest with our, ourselves, we know right, that something is getting in the way. I mean, if we're going to take a real hard look in the mirror and examine ourselves and our motivations of whether or not that we have sold out for Christ, right, if we really take a long, hard look, we're going to know that something's in the way. As much as we love Jesus, as much as we, the, the Word inspires and motivates us, as much as we love the church, as much as we are motivated to, to compassion for others, there is still something in the way. And do you know why I know that there's something in the way? The reason why I know is because the people around you don't think that you're crazy for following Jesus. That's the reason why I know, that people around you don't think that you're crazy for following Jesus. Now, that might seem weird to you, but bear with me. You see, the reason why I know that, that, that something's in, in the way is, is of you selling out is because people around you don't think that you're crazy for doing what Jesus is calling you to do. The people around you don't think that you're crazy for living a radically different life that comes from following Jesus. The people around you don't think you're crazy for, for, for the sacrifices that you make. The people around you don't say that you're crazy for continually proclaiming the gospel. People around you don't, in your, in your life, don't think that you're, you know, they're not looking at you going, man, you know, they're, they're really crazy about their religion. They're, I mean, they, they just take it too far. Because for all intents and purposes, other than church and, and, and Bible study and the fact that we have a Bible app on our, our phone, our lives as Christians look almost exactly the same as all those around us who don't, don't even believe in Jesus. Vody Balcom, one of my favorite pastors, you know, usually will say at this point, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. All right? Our lives look just like the rest of the world. We go to the same places. We do the same things. We watch the same stuff on television. We... And many of us even participate in, in many of the same activities. And, and really nothing in our life, nothing about us rubs other people the wrong way you know, for Christ. Nothing in our faith you know, and the, our walk with, with Christ offends anyone. Nothing about us causes people to look at us and say, you know what, they're just nuts. Now, I understand that that's a bit of a generalization. Right? Because some of you do live lives that are different, somewhat different, and, and some of you even a lot different than the rest of the world. But, but even still, those around you are not looking at you going, man, they're really on fire right, for Jesus. They're really, they're kind of crazy, right? They're not thinking that. Now, now, you might think, well, Sherman, that's just the stupidest thing I've heard like this month, right? Like, why should people think that I'm crazy for my faith? Because you're supposed to be like Jesus, and, and those around Jesus closest to him thought he was crazy for what he was doing. In fact, look with me at the text. It says in, in verse 20, 
Then he went home, which probably was Capernaum, and the crowd gathered around again, and so that he could not even eat. So there's so many people right, gathered around him, and that he's so busy that he didn't have time to eat. Right? And when his family heard of it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. I want you to notice that. Jesus' family, his, his, the members of his own family, the people that knew him best, the people that, that he grew up with thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was crazy. Right? To put it the way my dad would put it, it would be they done thought that his cheese slipped off his cracker. Right? In fact, I want you to notice, you know, you know when, when they heard what was going on, it says that they, they went to seize him. And this is important because the word that, that's used here in the Greek, like, you know, we think, okay, they went to get him. No, right? The word that's used in the Greek here means to arrest someone. It means to take them by force. And, and think about this. Jesus' own family, right, they get wind of, of, of what's going on and what he's doing and the crowds that are around him and the things that he's saying, and they come with the intentions to forcefully remove him from where he is and take him home because they believed that he was not just simply like a little eccentric, that he was out of his ever-loving mind. I mean, they're doing like basically trying to do a first-century version of an intervention. They are going to Capernaum in an effort to grab Jesus and physically haul him off. They must have thought he was really nuts. Now understand, they certainly had some legitimate concerns. They, they probably heard that Jesus was getting you know, sideways with the Pharisees and the Herodians, and they knew that his life was, it was in danger, because it was. Because in that time, if you remember, right, they lived when, when freedom of expression was not a thing. That you could go to jail, you could be killed for the things that you said. And they probably heard a rumor that, that people were out to get him, and they probably also heard that Jesus was saying some really crazy things like, son, your sins are forgiven, right? And, and the Son of Man has the authority over, over the Sabbath, right? You know, that, that he was probably saying some things that just really didn't fit within what they would think a, a sane person would say. And they probably heard about the crowds of people surrounding him getting so big that he has to get into a boat because they almost nearly crush him, and then they probably heard about Jesus as being so busy and, and doing what he's doing that, and the crowds being so large that he's not even stopping to eat, which is a big deal in that, that culture. Because you have to think about in terms of that culture, not our own culture. You see, for us, if we skipped a meal once in a while, that'd probably be pretty good. Like, I mean, like we could use that. Like, it's not going to hurt us. We're not going to die, right? You're, you know, if you didn't, if didn't have lunch, I mean, you might feel like it, but... But they lived in a time where, where food was scarce, and food was the most important industry because food production you know, was, was, was a big deal because it was not plentiful. Food was not everywhere, right? And, and, and a person missing meals could literally cost them their life, and so if you had an opportunity to eat, then you what? You ate. If, you had, if food was available to you, right, you would eat. That's why, to them, fasting was such a big deal, and, and, and it was a sign of deep devotion, like to us, we fast and we think, okay, that's a big deal. No, to them it was really a big deal because you miss too many meals, you could die. So missing a meal was a big deal, and, and, and this could adversely affect their health. And so these people were probably thinking, this guy isn't even eating. He is just, he is out of his mind. He's crazy. Now again, their concerns, I want you to hear me, were legitimate because, because he was in danger. 
He was in danger of Pharisees, and he was in danger of the crowds. And being so busy and overworked that you didn't even, even get a chance to eat was certainly a concern. So understand their motives for doing what they were doing was not, you know, was not bad. They, they, you know, their heart wasn't in the wrong place. Their intentions were based on what they understood, and, and, and their intentions on that basis were good. The problem is, though, is Jesus' family didn't know who he really was. And this is an important detail to make note of here. Jesus' brothers and sisters didn't really know who he was. I mean, they knew him in the human sense. They knew that he was their brother, that they, that they physically had, you know, a, that they had a relationship because they lived in time and space together. They, they knew him and they grew up with him in that way, but they did not understand that he was the Son of God. I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. But they had no concept that he was the divine Son of God. You see, Jesus did not even begin to reveal himself to anyone Right, who he was until he began his ministry. And so I want you to understand, there was not Jesus at home healing people. Like It wasn't like, oh, James broke his arm again. Okay, get, bring Jesus in here to heal him. Right? There was, that was not how it worked. Right? And, 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 it was, and there was not him, he was not making birds and, and animals out of dust and, and, and mud, as, as some, some legends suppose. Jesus did not reveal himself until his time of his ministry. And he... And, and, and they didn't know him then, who he really, really was. In fact, Jesus' family didn't even come to faith in him until after the resurrection. Did you, did you realize that? That he didn't come, to faith in, they didn't come to faith in him until after the resurrection. In fact, in the book of John, the, the brothers of Jesus were making fun of him and, and his ministry because they didn't understand who he was. They just didn't believe in him. And so, of course, right, they thought he was crazy. I, I mean... Think about it. If your brother began to make a claim that he was the divine son of God, would you think he was crazy too? I know my brother, right? right? And, and, I mean, and the same thing with my sons. I love my sons, right? I mean, I mean, I'd do anything for either one of them, and, I think, and I'm really proud of both of them. But if either one of them would, would have came to me and say, I have the power, power to forgive sins, I'd say, and how long has it been since you bumped your head? Right? Because, because that's just a crazy thing to say. And the reality is if anyone else, anyone else come up to you and said, said, made the claims that Jesus makes, you would think they were crazy. And so, and so the issue wasn't their intentions, and the issue wasn't their love for Christ, because they did love him. It was just their lack of understanding who Jesus is. And this is important because unless you really know who Jesus is, what he says and what he does will always seem crazy. Unless you know who Jesus is, what he says and what he does is not going to make sense. That's why Paul says, for the word of the cross is folly. The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. The gospel makes no sense to people unless they know who Jesus really is. What Jesus says and what he does seems crazy right, to those who do not really know him. And in the same goes for what God calls you to do. Unless people truly understand who Jesus is, what God calls you to do will seem crazy to them. I mean, think about this. You mean you give up 10% of your income to support the local church? That's a lot of money, isn't it? That's crazy. Getting, getting out of your comfort zone so you can actually go and start a conversation with someone you don't know so you can tell them about Jesus, that's just, that's crazy. Devoting half of your weekend every single week for the rest of your life when you could be out fishing and doing other things so you can go and sing songs and listen to a preacher preach, that's just crazy. 
Forgiving someone who hurts you really, really deeply? Now that's just crazy. Right? Loving the unlovable and helping someone who's stolen from you? That's crazy. Praying for those who persecute you? That's crazy. Standing up for the truth when the culture's against you? That's crazy. And that's just the regular Christian stuff. Like, that's the normal Christian stuff. I mean, I mean what about the more radical stuff, like leaving a six-figure job so you can come and pastor a little church in a poor community? That's really just plain nuts then. Right? Or how about selling out and selling all of your stuff and packing everything that you have in your family and leaving everything behind um, that you know in order for you to go to a foreign country that's hostile to the gospel in order to share the hope of Christ with the indigenous people. That's definitely crazy. You see, this last January, Hugh and I uh, went to Georgia to the G3 conference. In fact, you know, I want to, if, if you have the means to go, um, I would encourage m- multiple people in our church to go. I mean, there's, there's a lot to be gleaned from that. But the very first message we heard was from, from Pastor Josh Bice of Praise Mill Baptist Church, and he opened his sermon with a story that really has stuck with me, this, in it, this, this idea. He talked about a group of, of, of 80 islands off the coast of Australia known as the New Hebrides. And, and these islands, there, there lived a group of people who had never, ever, ever heard the gospel. They had never been contacted by the outside world. And so in 1839, a church sent two missionaries, John Williams and James Harris, to these islands in order to bring them the gospel. Crazy, right? But within minutes of their arrival there on the, on, the, on, on the islands, they were killed by the natives. Within minutes. And they were eaten by the cannibals. And so, yeah, that's definitely crazy. And it seemed that, 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 that this group of people would never be reached for the gospel because a person, you know, I mean, they'd have to be out of their mind. They'd have to be just you know, plumb loco to go there and, and, and minister to them. But 19 years later, a man named John Payton a successful urban missionary had announced that he would go to the New Hebrides because he, he was moved by, compa- by compassion for these people. He had a burden for them. The prospect of them not hearing the gospel and the prospect of these people going to hell without hearing about Jesus was more than he could take. And so he announced that he was going to the New Hebrides. And guess how everyone around him that knew him reacted to the, to the news? They didn't like it. They pushed back, right? They said, you're crazy. This is reckless. This is irresponsible, right? And they told him, you know, you shouldn't go. In fact, there was a a friend of his, his name was Mr. Dixon, with with great displeasure about the news, he says, you will be eaten by the cannibals. But John Payton replied, and this is absolutely one of the best replies ever. He says, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. Or in other words, you're old, right? And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, because you're going to die at some point. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. And he says, I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in that great day, My resurrection body will rise just as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. And so unmoved by the threats of the savages and unmoved by the objections of his friends and his family who thought he was crazy, he said, I'm going to go. What you do for God doesn't make sense to people when they really don't know Christ. 
It's going to seem crazy to them. And what you will do for Christ and want to do for Christ and desire to do for Christ will seem crazy even to people who know Christ because they themselves have not sold out for the cause of Christ. Now, as a result, by the way, John Payton going to the New Hebrides, which was now called Vanuatu, this island, this group of islands, um, is now, according to the latest statistics, is about 91% Christian. They went from 100% unreached, nobody ever heard the gospel, to the entire island hearing about the gospel, and the, va- and the majority of these people are, are Christians. John Payton was sold out to bring the gospel to the lost. He was willing to do what was crazy. Even though people thought he was out of his mind, John Payton changed the world. And an entire group of people have heard the gospel because of him. He was willing to do what God called him to do, even though everyone said he was crazy. And understand the reason why selling out for Christ and and doing what God calls you to do, to those who don't know Christ, the reason why it's crazy to them, let's be honest, following Jesus is dangerous. Let's just be real. Following Jesus is dangerous. Jesus never once ever said, never said that if you will follow me, you will have a pain-free, problem-free life. He never said that. He never said that if you will follow me, that will never, ever, ever let anything bad happen to you ever again. That is not what he said. In fact, he said the opposite. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, he said, If anyone would come after me, follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross an instrument of death and torture. They knew exactly what he was talking about, an instrument of death and torture. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Get busy dying. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is an open invitation to disciples to persecution and suffering. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. The Apostle Paul writing to, the, to Timothy, who's a pastor in Ephesus, who is, who is, who is struggling to be, live all in for Christ and do what he's called to do, he says this, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Following Jesus absolutely can be dangerous. And it can be dangerous to your life and your health. Because people do die for their faith, especially other, in other countries where, in, in, in where cultures are completely intolerant of Christianity. Thousands and thousands of people are arrested and tortured and killed for their faith every single year. In fact, Open Doors, which is a, um, a, a missionary society that, that deals with people that are martyrs and, and people that are persecuted, um, they say that every single month, I want you to think about this, every month, 255 Christians are killed. 104 are abducted. 180 Christian women, because they're simply Christian women, are raped, sexually harassed, and forced into marriage. 66 churches are attacked every month. And 160 Christians are detained without trial and imprisoned. Every single month. People around the world daily face the dangerous reality that the world at large is hostile to the message of Christ. And this is especially true for those who are obedient to Christ's call for all believers to go and make disciples. Those who, who go and, and share the gospel like Christ are under constant threat of death and imprisonment. 
Now, fortunately for us, here in the United States, we don't, we don't face that prospect of someone killing us for the gospel. I mean, it, it has happened, but it's, it's, it's really, really rare. In fact, I mean, when's the last time you heard of somebody dying in the United States for their faith? You probably can't remember. Most of us don't remember the last time because we still live in a country where people can openly express their faith in Christ and openly talk about Jesus without fear of the government or some other group of people hunting us down to, to murder us or burn down our, our church. And, I, and if you woke up this morning and you're looking for a reason to, for, to praise God, then there's a great one right there. But understand, the reason why you do not and have not completely sold out to, to do what Christ is calling you to do is because following Christ is still dangerous, even though it might not be dangerous with respect to your life. It's still dangerous in other ways. For example, one of the reasons why so many people in our community struggle to be all in and on mission for Christ right here and right now is because doing so is dangerous to their social status. Because let's face it, repenting of our old life and believing the gospel and following Jesus where he leads makes us different than those around us who won't. If you're a Christian, you are by definition different than everyone else around you. You're a new creation. You were born again. You were radically different from them because you were spiritually alive and they are spiritually dead. There's a, there's a vast difference between you and them. You, your life then, as a result, should look different. Your desires and your interests should look different. The sin that you used to, to, to desire, you should now hate because God hates it. And the righteousness that you used to despise, you should desire because, uh, because God loves that. By living in a small town, though, so many people living in a small town where, where everybody grew up knowing everyone else, Everybody knows each other now. Many people struggle to be what God's calling them to be because they so desperately still want to be accepted and included by their old friends. They want to be invited to everything. People want the relationship with Christ. Right? They want Jesus, but they don't want their social status to change. People want a relationship with Christ and they want to worship Him on Sunday morning, but they still want to party like they're in high school on Friday night. We're called to be salt and light to a dying world that makes us, by definition, different. But many of the outside of many of us, when we walk out of this room, will live like the rest of the world will live because we're afraid of losing our social status. Because following Jesus is dangerous to that social status. It's also dangerous to our reputation in, in, in the culture. And if you don't believe me, then do me a favor. Take out your phone and post right now what you feel about abortion on social media or what you feel about the Bible and what it says about marriage and sexuality. Or post what, what the Bible says about sin and the wrath of God and see what happens. You're going to find that there are going to be people in your own community, people that you and they call consider friends, who will immediately take issue with your positions. And they will label you as sexist and homophobic and bigoted. Now, realize that was hyperbole. I'm not asking you to really go to social media right now. Because the reality is, 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 is you post anything on Facebook, it's my encouragement to just be positive because you just are not going to win an argument, you know, on social media. It just, it doesn't, it, it, it just doesn't bear any fruit. 
But my point is still the same. Many of us struggle to go out into the world and engage those around us for the gospel because at some point those difficult conversations come up. We live in a culture that's in your face about these things. And when you bring it up, people don't want to hear the truth. When, they, when you answer their questions, they don't want to hear the truth. And they're going to get very vocal about it and hateful when you begin to point out their, their sins. And publicly they begin to label you as a religious nut or a bigot or a homophobe or a racist or whatever. And, and, and this effectively right, shuts down a lot of people from, from being sold out for Christ. I mean, there are lots of things that people don't even say don't even say anymore because of, of just worry that somebody might misunderstand what they're saying and, and be offended by it. Following Jesus is dangerous to our reputation, but it's also dangerous to our careers and, and our work. The truth is we live at a time when you can get fired for talking about your faith and, and talking about what is right and wrong. In fact, our brother Terry Vickers has taken a step in faith and he started a prayer uh, uh, group at work. It's a weekly prayer group. And, and the goal of that group is to get a bunch of Christians together and pray. It's as simple as that. And they, and they pray for safety, which I think is always a good thing, right? They pray for the safety of everyone in the plant. They pray for people's needs. You know, they pray for people's relationships and marriages. And they, and they, and they pray that God would be glorified. And it's very simple. And, and there's already been people that, that at work that have kind of come to him and kind of give him a little warning saying... Be careful, because, you know, the company doesn't like that, you know. And they're kind of letting them know, like, hey, you know, this could be one of those things that, that could be bad. Understand, we're, we're just talking about a prayer group. We're not talking about chapel service right there, you know, at work. But more and more employers are trying to put restrictions on, on a person's expression of faith in all their jobs. And this isn't just limited to just on-the-job stuff. This is the thing that we have to realize. There was a fire captain in Atlanta, Georgia who was also the pastor of a church, and he wrote a book to minister to inner-city young men because, they, because he was connected with a lot of young men who did not have father figures and, and didn't have strong male leadership. And so he wrote this book about being a man. He's trying to encourage these guys to walk and become biblical men, which I think is, is terrific. And one of the things that he dealt with was the issue of sexual sin, and if there is a, an issue that young men need to have dealt with in their life is the issue of sexual sin. So he wrote a chapter on that. And in that chapter, he just made mention in one place that, that in the list of things that are considered, considered sexual sin was homosexuality, and the city of Atlanta fired him from his job as a captain of, of a firehouse because of what he wrote in a book in his own time for his own congregation. But it's not even limited to just secular jobs, including, this includes ministry jobs. In Northern California, there was a pastor of a conservative, reformed, evangelical, Bible-believing church because of his campaign to confront truth. Right? He, he actually, at the beginning of the year, he started, he did, he did a sermon, uh, basically, that, that saying that, that, that love tells the truth. Right? And so then he decided... At the beginning of the year, he went and put out on the, the church's sign this phrase, Bruce Jenner is still a man. Homosexuality is still a sin. The culture may change, but the Bible does not. That's what he put on there. And predictably, activists came and protested the church, and they vandalized the sign and made a big stink about it and, and got a lot of national attention. 
and the congregation, rather than taking the opportunity to then stand up for the truth and engage the culture and actually have a real conversation with these people. Because understand, if people would have said, hey, thievery is still a sin, you know, nobody would have ever said anything, right? But, be, but here's their opportunity to really address the issue of sin and, 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 lo- and lovingly really engage the culture. What did they do instead? They fired the pastor. They, they, they fired him over that message. Now understand, right? It was to be expected that people were going to protest and push back, right? And me, like, I might have probably went about that whole thing differently, but he, but what he said was still the truth, right? What he said was not, like, like 20 years ago wouldn't have been taboo, right? It was still the truth, but they fired him for it. Following Jesus can be dangerous to your career. It also can be dangerous to your finances, because perhaps God's calling you to be more a cheerful giver and giving more. Right? Maybe God calls you to sacrifice and use your resources to help other people more. Maybe God's calling you to leave behind a, a higher paying job for a lower paying job in a ministry somewhere. Or like maybe, you know, like today, you you do something or say something and you end up getting fined or sued because of because you refuse to disavow the truth, like some bakers who, who have baked cakes and gotten themselves in trouble and really had huge financial losses because of it. Following Jesus and being sold out for him can be dangerous to your finances, but it also can be dangerous for your family. And I think this is probably the scariest one for most of us because being sold out for Christ will impact your family. It absolutely will whether it's simply just little changes like what you watch on TV and the activities that, that, that you participate in at home, or the fact that you realize being all in for Christ means you need to share your faith with everyone. That includes your kids and your grandkids and your parents and your extended family and maybe even your spouse because they probably maybe don't even know Christ, and that then can cause friction, maybe even cause division because on everyone. Not everyone's on board with Jesus, right? There have been families that have been split apart because of faith, especially when sin is confronted. My middle daughter is just, that's where I'm at with her. I mean, I love my daughter. You know, she doesn't live here. But, you know, we, you know I love her and I still reach out to her, but, but there's, there's a division between us, right? There's, there's, there's tension because, because, of, because of sin, right? Or how about when you are standing up for the truth, and, you know, and people in, your, in the community take it out of your kids because that wouldn't happen in Boron, would it? Yeah. There are people still taking out these other kids for grudges that happened like 15, 20, 50 years ago. Right? So you take a stand for the truth and your kids get picked on or persecuted by some adult because of a position you're taking. Or how about when God puts it on your heart to move somewhere else or go into ministry or just leave everything behind and go on a missionary journey to a foreign country, but your family ain't loving the idea because they really, really love hot water, hot pockets, and, and, and high-speed internet. Following Jesus is dangerous in a lot of ways. And that's why so many people, I think, you know, you know, shrink back. And that's why so many people will think you're crazy if you actually do what Jesus is calling you to do, to live for him. But I want you to understand this. In fact, I didn't put this in your notes, but I think this is worthy of writing down. Okay? What is crazy 
what is crazy is not following Jesus. That's what's crazy. Because if Jesus is who he claims to be, and he claimed to be the Son of God, God in the flesh, and he can do what he has promised to do, which is to save you from your sins and the awful and terrible wrath of God, and that he can give you what he's promised to give you, which is his righteousness, an eternal hope, and an eternal life, then the crazy thing isn't following him. The crazy thing is not following him. Because you'd be crazy not to trust him. You're crazy not to follow him. You'd be out of your mind not to sell out for him. Because understand this, Jesus, the Son of God, sold out for you. He sold out to rescue you and save you. He came He came into the world, right, and was baptized. Why? So that he could identify with you, a sinner who needs to repent. He came preaching the gospel and calling us all to what? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. And Jesus then worked out a bunch of miracles that are recorded in history to prove that he has the authority to forgive sins and that his message of salvation is the truth. And then, if that's not enough, he traded places with you. Jesus, the beloved, spotless Lamb of God, the Son of God, went to the cross and took upon himself your sin and your guilt and your shame. And he bore it in his body and then bore in his body the awful and terrible wrath of God the Father. And it says, and again, this verse just will not make sense to me, is that he was pleased to crush him for us. He paid the penalty that you deserved. He took the cup of God's wrath and he drank it down for you. And in return, he gives you the righteous standing that he has before God, that you can stand before God without fear. And now you can be adopted into the family of God, not as some stranger off the street that he just tolerates, but as a child of God. You become his family. And Jesus died on the cross paying for all your debts and he was resurrected three days later proving that that debt has been paid in full and that payment has been accepted on your behalf by the Father. And Jesus ascended into heaven and still now at this moment sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. And he has sent, if if you're a believer, Okay? If you trusted Jesus Christ, he has sent to you into your heart God the Holy Spirit to bear witness to you that you belong to him, to minister to you, to guide you, to strengthen you, to lead you, to confirm you. And then to conform you more and more to the image of Christ. And Jesus has promised, okay? he has promised that he's going to come back for you. That one day when you step off into eternity, you will because you will die. He promised to take you home, to be with him in his presence forever and ever and ever and ever. And there will not be any more tears or suffering or pain or danger anymore. You'd be absolutely out of your mind not to follow him. You'd be out of your mind. You'd be crazy not to serve him and cherish him and be sold out for him. Packing up, listen to me, packing up your entire life to go to an island inhabited by cannibals to share the gospel by comparison is not crazy. 
not sharing the gospel to the rest of the world and not being sold out for, for Jesus, that is crazy. Stepping off into eternity without having a relationship with Jesus Christ is beyond crazy. It's just plain stupid. Brothers and sisters, we all need to be all in for Jesus because he was all in for us. We need to sell out for Christ because he sold out for us. And so I want to wrap up this message where we, where we begin with, with, with the question, what is it that's in the way of you being sold out for Christ? What's in the way of you being okay with people? What's, what's in the way of, of you being okay with people thinking that you're crazy for following and proclaiming and sacrificing for Jesus Christ? And so here we are today at a crossroads because today is the day of decision because it is time to sell out. It's time to be all in for Christ. And, and I want to help you do that. I want to I help you take that step. And it begins with answering the question, what's in the way? Now, understand, I, I can't answer that for you. I don't know. I might guess, but I don't know. I don't know what's in the way of and what, and what, what causes your heart to, 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 to faint at the idea of, of confronting somebody about their sin. I don't know what gets in the way of, of you taking that step to go to that person you love and you know who is not right with Christ to go to them and say, hey, I need to tell you about Jesus. I don't know what's in the way of you saying, you know what, Lord, I'm, I'm going to give you the first portion of, of, of what I earn, and I'm not going to worry about my finances the way I used to. I'm going to, I'm going to trust, Lord, you're going to take care of me. What's in the way of you being the disciple maker, the, the, the evangelist that God's calling you to? What's in the way of you going into the ministry that God's calling you? What is in the way? I don't know, but you do. Now, the next thing you need to do is you need to pray to God to give you wisdom and strength to overcome that. Because what you need to realize is once you identify what's in the way, you on your own don't have the power to, to overcome it. Because we cannot change ourselves. This is, the, this, is the, this is the one thing that if you're a Christian, you just need to come to terms with. You have not the ability to change your own heart. You cannot change yourself. You need to turn and depend upon God, the Holy Spirit, to change you. You need to, to come to the Lord and pray, Lord, I see what you were calling me to do. I see why I'm fearful. I can't fix it. I need you to change me. I, I see that this is this particular sin in my life that I can't overcome on my own. I need you to rescue me and to change me. And then, then finally, you need to sell out and commit to this. You see, there's those points in our lives where you know, we need to make this the forefront issue of our life. See, these are one of the, some of those messages like, yeah, yeah, Pastor Sherman preached a good message. He convicted me. Whoo, let's talk about something else next week. Right? And hopefully then I won't be reminded of the fact that I needed, I needed to make a decision. Today's the day. Make a decision. Sell out for, for Jesus. Now, if you would, let's just all bow our heads. Because whether you're a believer or whether you're not, I'm going to take you back to the same place. In the same places where, where Jesus calls us to be is a place of repentance and faith. And so if you're someone who's not really actually moved and put your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to call you 
to turn to him and trust in him, to repent of your old life and, and believe. And if you are somebody who's a believer but who's been struggling with sin or who's been struggling to sell out for Jesus, I'm going to call you the same thing. If, even if you know you're saved, and, and if you're saved, Jesus will keep you saved, but he still calls you to walk in repentance and faith. And so repent of whatever's in the way. Repent of the sin that gets in your way and continue to trust in Jesus Christ. And so while your heads are bowed, I'm going to ask, if there's any one of you who understands that you need to just let go and sell out for Jesus and repent of the things that are in the way, would you raise your hand? I see your hand. I see your hand. Make that decision. Make that commitment. And let me pray for you that God would strengthen and honor that decision. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. That two verses can, can, can take our world and flip it upside down. That's how powerful it is. That in two verses, Lord, that maybe not even seem related at all to the things that we've been talking about, suddenly can come in and swoop in and, and change how we have to look at ourselves, Lord. And I, and I praise you, Lord, that, that, that your word is like that. That is, it is, is sharper than any two-edged sword that it has the ability to divide us up, Lord, and help and to excise the things in us that need to come out, Lord. And Father, I, start with me, Lord. Father, I know there are things that get in my way too. I want to be comfortable. Yes, Lord. I, I, I love having my schedule set the way that fits me. I love, you know, being able to deal with things on my own terms. But Lord, give me a heart to be inconvenienced. Give me a heart, Lord God, to be, to, to, to be exhausted in my work, Lord. Be, give, me, give me a heart to be exhausted to serve and love other people, Lord God. Help me, Lord, to be just like Jesus, who, who was just so caught up in the work that he's doing that he didn't even take the time to eat, and the people thought he was crazy. Lord, let people think that we're the craziest bunch of people in this community, Lord. But let us go out, Lord, and, and share unashamed the hope of Jesus Christ with every single creature that walks. Help us, Lord, to go and meet their needs and to love them, Lord, and that you would create revival in this town and in this church for your glory, Lord. And I pray, Father God, that we would see you rescuing the lost, saving those who need you. And I thank you, Lord God, for that. And I pray your blessing over this entire congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.